so it's great to see you and a special welcome to you if you're visiting. It's really good, isn't it, just seeing the, the buzz in the church week by week and new stuff happening. And I love seeing the kids mucking around at the front as well, making a bit of noise. I, I just love that. You know, I've been in a couple of churches over the years where, you know, you, you, the kids are not allowed to, to be happy. <laughs> so it's really great to be in an environment, isn't it, where the kids can just join in with the instruments at the start and run around a little bit. I think that's really important because we want the, the youngsters to have really good memories of church, not like austere, harsh memories of church. We want to keep working on this being a family thing. And obviously, we're just coming into our seventh month, so we're still learning what that means. I think, as Dan said, the connect groups, just add my own two pennies worth into that, are going to be really important. And we're just uh, thinking about having to set up the next one. So that's really cool. And it'd be great to see these sort of missional home groups all over uh, Chesterfield. It'd be really exciting just doing life together. And the, the quiz and shooting each other at airsoft and clay pigeon shooting, we're shooting more stuff and uh, fish and chips and all of that is just creating opportunity uh, to invite people. That's one thing. So people get to see that, you know, we're grace-filled, not competitive and all of that and we're kingdom people. Uh, that's, that's a good thing and we eat food together and do life together. But also it's important to spend time together as a family, isn't it? Because the more we spend time together, the more we get to know each other, the easier it becomes actually to invite people in. And, and it's just a nice environment. It's a terrible thing, actually, when you, know, you invite people into what is meant to be a kingdom community, a church, and everyone just acts like they hate each other. Because it's just, it's just dynamically unattractive, isn't it? So actually to have uh, the reality of life, so we rejoice together in the good times, we, we cry together in the tough times, we eat food together all the time. It's all just really important. So that's why we're doing all this stuff. We don't just throw things on uh, because we think we better fill up the diary. Actually, we just want to be a family, a kingdom family that is demonstrating good news and being kingdom community. And, and that's, in a sense, what we're talking about today. Um, we've started this 20-question series. You know, when we first started, uh, Dan and I looked at the book of Acts as kind of foundational kingdom stuff. And now we thought, well, we'll tackle these 20 questions. We came up with 20 questions we think people might be asking. Uh, you can always pitch in with some if you think you're not asking those questions. Uh, just to look again at foundational issues so that we grow together as a family. And, and today we're looking at this whole issue of what is the mission of God. Last week Dan looked at the gospel. This week we're looking at what is the mission of God. Why are people looking at the screen and laughing? Because it's a typo. Oh, it's a typo. What does it say? What is the missing of God? Well, I'll come up with that in a minute. The mission, oh, that's a good one. So that's, that's in a sense what we're going to look at today. Now, just to uh, give you a bit of background, because not everyone here uh, is familiar with us. There are some visitors here. Uh, the background uh, in uh, a couple of minutes to my own journey. Um, I came to Christ at 18. The first church I went to, I was remembering this yesterday, actually, I was speaking at a conference in Manchester. The first church I went to was a Brethren Assembly Church, an evangelical conservative church, but they gave me a real love for the Word of God. Uh, there was an elder there called Ron who used to teach me every Sunday night. I, I go to church on a Sunday morning and I go back to his place for quiche, a cup of tea, and he'd teach me the Bible. And he took me from Genesis right way through to Revelation and he gave me a belief in the Word of God that the Word of God was fundamentally important to my life and he really, really drilled that into me. And what he also drilled into me at that time was how fundamentally important the gospel was. 
that actually that was a driving force behind everything, that we needed to tell people the gospel. Jesus died, rose again, forgives our sins, we need to be people of repentance, we need to call people to repentance, etc, etc, etc. And I really bought into that, and I still do. So if you were to cut me off, I'm a straight down the line gospel guy. Uh, that was what I was, uh, that's sort of the founding DNA of me coming to Christ. It's why I've invested my life into evangelism, why I spent time church planting. And you'll know that I went from a brethren church and I became a Baptist minister. I was a Baptist minister for 10 years and I was a gospel driven Baptist minister. We church planted Karen and I in the mid 90s and we went on to a really tough council estate and that's when things started to shape in my mind a little bit because I would describe myself at the start of my journey as a gospel pit bull. You know, I, I just, you know, if it moved, tell them about Jesus. I wasn't into building relationships with people. I'm not even sure I really liked anyone. I just knew they needed to get saved. That was sort of a bit of my journey really, so like, if they're moving, don't care, I'll just tell them about Jesus. And lo and behold, for 18 months we did that, and no one became a Christian. <laughs> for eight, it might have been the intensity, but no one gave their lives to Christ for 18 months. I mean, I just tried everything. I even, we, in early days, when I mean, you do everything in a church plant like that, we even printed our own leaflets, we did, we just did everything. I, the first leaflet I ever put around, I, I put um, something like um, Doobie Doobie Doo Frank Sinatra. Uh, uh, I can't get no satisfaction, Mick Jagger. I've come to give you life to the full. Jesus, with my mobile number. Nothing happened. <laughs> then, I, then I put another one through the door. I thought, well, I'll try something else. Then I put, what would Jesus say to David Beckham? Through everyone's door in the estate, with my phone number. And someone phoned up and they went, don't you think Jesus has got more important people to talk to than David Beckham? And I went, yeah, what, like you? And he went, none of it was working. None of it was working. And then, I mean, there was a load of other stuff that happened, but then I had this moment. So I started praying for divine opportunities. Now, I'm a conservative evangelical. I don't have a framework that God speaks then, intervenes today, but I'm praying for opportunities. And I got a phone call from someone on his side. Oh, it was a phone call. Someone came knocking on the door and they said, you've got to come quick. You're that vicar bloke, aren't you? I went, yeah, vicar bloke without a church. I said, yeah, okay, you've got to come quick. And I find myself being taken to someone's house. And there's a crowd of people outside. I'm not exaggerating. There must have been about 15, 20 people outside this maisonette on the estate. And everyone's standing around, people are having a fag and they're talking. It's all like this like a heightened atmosphere. And then as I turned up, they went, you're that vicar bloke. I went, yeah. <laughs> I was in my mid-twenties, you know. Uh, and I said, what's happening? They said, I can't remember his name. He said, let's call him Dave. Uh, Dave's smashing himself up in the flat. What do you mean? He's smashing himself up. Okay. So I, they're all standing back. So I, I look through the letterbox and there's a guy in the corridor of his flat bashing his face against the wall. Badly. So I call through the door. I've got his name. Let's, I'm just making up Dave. I just can't remember. So I call through the door and I went, 
Dave! Dave! What are you doing? And, and just no response. He's just now leaning against the wall, smashing his face up. And uh, I could see the door, so I think I'll try the door, try the handle, door starts opening. So I say, I'm coming in. And I can hear everyone on the estate behind me going, <laughs> like, let's watch the vicar get beaten up by Dave, you know. So I say, I'm coming in. I'm coming in. And as I came through the door, this guy comes sprinting towards me. I sort of hold him on nose. Oh, I'm really quick. And he fell into my arms. So I took him back into his living room and sat him down. And it, no carpet, messed up, stinking, dirty, horrible. Sat in his living room and just looking at each other. And in front of me, I was to tell you as it is, he picked up a glass and he tried to shove it in his face. Smashed it and tried to shove it in his face. Having a psychotic turn, basically. And to cut a long story short, I'm in my mid-twenties. To cut a long story short, I find myself in A&E with him where he's interviewed by some kind of psychologist or psychiatrist, he gets medical attention, and then they said he can go home. This guy's not fit to go home, he smashed himself up. I went back home, and I sat with him most of the night. At one point, he got up and he crawled under his coffee table in the middle of the room, and hid there for a bit. And I'm just sitting there, not saying anything, just watching him, having a psychotic episode. And then he, he gets up and sits back on his sofa, and he's got one thing that's nice in his living room. It was a goldfish in a goldfish bowl. And he looked at me, I'll never forget it, he said, I love my fish. I said, it's a very nice fish. Has it got a name? He went, no, it's fish. It's me fish. Okay. He said, but I love it. And then he said, no one's ever told me they love me. All my life. He didn't say anything else. That night, uh, so the next day, I'm tired. I got to Bible college all day. Then I come back, I drive for two hours to Bible college, I drive two hours back. I'm in lectures all day about Old Testament theology of worship. Then I go to an elders meeting for the big church up the road. And I said to the elders of the church, can I have 50 quid food vouchers to help this guy? I just want to, I need to go around there. I need to help him. This guy's got nothing. We need to give him some support. I'm eating a piece of cake, nice cake, off a nice bit of bone china. And the elders took a decision not to give the guy any money because it wasn't gospel stuff. And they said it'd just be money down the drain. You'd probably just go and spend it on booze. I subsequently found out that the guy had actually beaten up his girlfriend really badly and was seen as a bit of a scumbag on the estate. Who likes someone who does violence against women, eh? Loser. Scumbag.
and no one loved him. And something in my head at that moment switched. And I began to see the gospel in a different way. And you see it here in Jesus' manifesto in Luke 4. Now we're in a time at the moment, aren't we, where I don't know about you, but I'm bored now of political announcements. I can't wait for the election to be over. I know we haven't commented on it much at church. I'm praying that godly people find their way into positions of authority. Uh, vote for the person you think is most kingdom-minded. That would be my advice. But I'm bored of manifesto statements. This manifesto statement here in Luke 4 is timeless. This is our manifesto. This is the mission of God manifesto. Luke 4. This is how Jesus launched his public ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began by saying to them today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing and then he didn't just say as you read through in Luke 4 he kicks off by driving out demons from people then he starts healing people and by Luke chapter 5 something I've talked about many times over the years Jesus does something I think is utterly profound in Luke 5 verse 12 he's chopping along one of the towns and and then a man came along who was covered with leprosy. He saw Jesus. He fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And I've said many times over the years, two profound miracles happened there. One, a physical healing. We are starting to see people being touched by the power of God in this congregation. You've heard the testimonies. It's absolutely amazing. God is still in the business we believe of doing that today and we will push through to in prayer to see God touch people in the most profound and miraculous ways that is life-changing for people but there is another miracle that happens here and that is that Jesus actually reached out and touched a scumbag if you were a leper in the ancient Middle East you were a scumbag you were spiritually unclean you were physically unclean and spiritually unclean. They would have to walk through towns announcing that they were unclean. Because people thought not only would they be infectious, but they were spiritually infectious too. They don't want people like that near them. They wouldn't be allowed to worship in the temple because they'd make everything unclean. Actually, if you were to touch a leper in that time, you became a walking curse as well. So here we have the Son of God actually touching a leper saying while well, I'm identifying myself with this person they're a human being that's amazing that's more amazing than often we realize when we just read over these sentences in the Bible that's actually very very profound you wouldn't find gurus walking around in those days and there were many doing that and I think there's probably a third miracle in that the person suffering from leprosy might not have had physical contact for many, many years. Actually to be touched by someone when no one come near you. Imagine how that would feel. 
you imagine no one's put their arm around you for years? And every time you go into a place, everyone walks away from you. I used to have that when I was an insurance salesman. <laughs> everyone would walk away from me. I walk into the room and everyone would disappear. But you imagine you had that for years because you're a curse. And Jesus reached out and touched him. And, and this echoes through scripture. When I was just taking myself in my times to, of prayer to like Isaiah 1, I was just thinking about it while I was walking the talk this morning. Isaiah 1, this has been going on for centuries, God has been saying this. You know in Isaiah, the kingdom of Israel had split into two, you had Judah in the south and Israel in the north, and in Judah, the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. I'm not making a political statement, this is historical. This is what was happening. And, and the rich were starting to throw on lavish festivals. Now, they were, they were fitting out their temples with the latest kit. They were looking good. They, they got in a projection system, good sound system, decent coffee. You know, the, the temple was looking good, but the poor were getting poor on the outside. And God didn't like it. This is the mission of God. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. This is verse 10 of Isaiah 1. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense is detestable to me. New moons, sabbaths, convocations. I can't bear your worthless assemblies, your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals. I hate, this is God, I hate with all my being. They're a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. And, and you see it again, didn't you? In Isaiah 58, very, very famous passages. Is this not the kind of fasting I've chosen? Verse 6, Isaiah 58. God says it again. To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? And provide the poor wanderers shelter when you see the naked to clothe them. And not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn. And your healing will quickly appear. Like when you do this, then you see my power at work. That's amazing. Your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression and interestingly the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday the Lord will guide you always he'll satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land you'll strengthen your frame you'll be like a well watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail you'll 
people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings, and so it goes on. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a reputation of a church that was a restorer of people who are bust up? Wouldn't it be amazing? A church where everyone was welcome. It, it, it carries on through into the New Testament. Jesus says it. In Matthew 25, at the end of all things. Matthew 25, verse 31. I'm reading a lot of scripture because you've got to see this coming from the word today. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne and all the nations will be gathered together and he will separate sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. The king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. Verse 35, I was hungry, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was ill and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you like this? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. I needed clothes and you didn't clothe me. I was ill and in prison and you didn't look after me. And I will also answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or ill or in prison didn't help you? He replied, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you didn't do for me. And I will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. I find that frightening in one sense I find it challenging I find it stimulating and I find it, it breaks my heart whenever I read it it's so easy for a church that is biblical and we seek to be a biblical church to seek to do everything right by the book and it have a massive blind spot when it comes to people who have just got nothing. And so we need to think about what does it mean for this church to be in God's mission? Mission doesn't exist because the church is here. We're getting on board with God's mission, which is already happening. God is a missional God. And he is into the transformation of people and the structures that exist around people. He's into changing culture and society as well. The issue is we are right to actually focus in on seeing people transformed because they receive Jesus. But also I believe fundamentally from this we're to be involved in, in causing carnage out there in blessing people and challenging the structures that are in our town. I think that's what we're meant to be about when I read this. If we don't, if we're just a preaching machine I think we're missing a huge chunk of scripture and that challenges me. So I was thinking about it. I was thinking about all the experiences I've had in church over the years, the, the kind of things that churches get wound up about. It's amazing the things that churches get wound up about, isn't it? Amazing how we can get wound up about the worship or the coffee. I've seen stand-up rows in church 
about the car parking or people mumbling about the sound it's nothing there, there are nothing issues I once had <laughs> I once had when I was senior pastor at a church a big church I had a, a lady, lovely godly lady lovely actually caught me at a bad moment she came in to my office, my study, to complain about the paint colour that was going up in the foyer of the church and some restructural work that we were seeking to do. And she used quite powerful language about it. I can't remember exactly what she said, but I can remember feeling quite annoyed. <laughs> which I know will surprise you and, and with all love in my heart I said to her I never want to talk to you again she said, pardon so I don't want to talk to you again she said, what? I can't believe I said this looking back I said I don't want to talk to you again and she come in here and complain about the right things what do you mean the right things? I said, well, complain that there's still homeless people around in the town. Complain that there are people in our town that haven't got enough food. Complain that not enough people are becoming Christians. Complain that we're not compassionate enough. Complain that we've got a blind spot. You know, about some people haven't got furniture in our homes. Complain to me about that, and I'll talk to you for hours about the pain. But until then, I don't want to talk to you. Let's complain about the right things. She said, how dare you talk to me like that? I said, how dare you come in and complain about the wrong things? It's ridiculous. Now, you're sitting there thinking, how unpastoral. True, that's why I'm an itinerant evangelist. <laughs> I've softened a bit since then, because I've begun to realise that we're all on a journey. But by goodness me, can we be a church that complains about the right stuff? Can we get excited about the right stuff? Let's get excited about people coming to faith and people having their needs met and you know, people who are living their lives in a yard of hell being rescued. Can we be a church that gets excited about putting ourselves in a yard of hell? And then you've got to ask, well, how do we do that? Well, I think there's so many different ways. You know, we don't have to reinvent things. There are some amazing projects happening in our town that need support. We're going to have to start listing them and recruiting people to get on board. Whether it's a food bank or a homeless project or a bus project that's going out. Captain Allen has been here, I was just reminded this morning, just working with people whose lives are bust up. Now, I think if we got involved in that, it would please God so much. What if we found gaps? What, I'm making this up because I don't know. This is a shame on me. I don't know. What if there is a need for a furniture depository in this town? Where we could actually go to social services where people are being put into unfurnished emergency accommodation. We could say, we've got stuff. What if there was a clothes bank that we needed to set up? You know, a storehouse for the town so that the poor could have their needs met. And then you'll say to me, some of you, but that's not the gospel. We're not preaching the gospel. No, but earn the right to speak into people's lives and show some love. 
put your arms around people whose lives are just bust up. I think it pleases God and lo and behold, people will start to listen to us. Why are you doing this? Because we love you. Because God loves you too. Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, he's come to give us life in all its fullness. But the enemy has come to kill, steal and destroy. And it's amazing how the enemy can even use the church to steal, kill and destroy. I've kind of been thinking, and I've thought this thought for many years. The dream that I have for the church is that we'd actually have something, and brace yourself for this, something of a scandalous reputation. They're the people who deal with those people. They have, they have those people going to church. Wouldn't that be amazing if this church became a place that was beautiful to people whose lives were in a yard of hell? But to those who sought to be proper, it looked a little bit ugly. It seems to me that Jesus had something of a scandalous reputation. I told you before, you've heard me say this before, when Karen and I started to open our home up in the 90s, we had people coming around who were committing adultery or people who were caught in drug addiction and uh, people's lives are just so messed up. And I, people actually said to me, ministers in the town, you know, be careful of the Lord's reputation. You're spending too much time with people committing adultery. <laughs> like, I'm sure I've read this somewhere before. I mean, I, you know, people say, you know, there's a gospel. You can call people to repentance. Yeah, but some people, do you know what? Some people's lives are so messed up, they just can't see life straight. It takes a long time. I was speaking at a conference yesterday with Andy Hawthorne at The Message and one guy gave a testimony who it took eight years of Andy pouring his life into someone before that person came good. Eight years. We want people fixed up overnight. It don't happen. Sometimes it takes a long time for people to come through. I guess what I'm saying is wouldn't it be amazing if there is such an outpouring of God's love in this place, this became the place, the home groups, the church service. This would be the place where people go where they are desperate to find life. It became a place where people could actually get their heads sorted out. And along the way they discovered Jesus too and their destiny sorted out as well. Wouldn't that be amazing? And I know that some of you, your lives have felt like you were in a yard of hell. And at the moment, God is being to touch people's lives by the power of his Holy Spirit. And that is a beautiful thing. And then God will want to use you so that your story will impact other people. And you might not be fully fixed up before you start doing that, but we become wounded healers. It's a compassionate place where, yes, we preach the truth, but it's balanced by, by an outpouring of compassion for people. Now, some of you think, oh, my life's busy. How do I do this? Well... There's different ways. Some of you are time rich and some of you are time poor. Some of you are materially rich and some of you are materially poor. But within that mix, there is stuff that we can all do. Wouldn't it be great if, if some of us had the energy to come to me and Dan and say, well, actually, I'm going to research what the need is and I'll come to you with a plan and I'll pull some people together. And it could be a furniture depository or a clothing thing. Or what about bereavement counselling? People never recovering from bereavement all their lives. 
But there's something that we can set up as a church that actually starts to bless people. Our name, Redeemer King. We start to see redemption come into people's lives through our activities. It would be great if some of you would just start to buzz with the entrepreneurial energy and let's see what we can do. Woe to us if we become a bubble. Let's not be a bubble. We have a good bit of worship, nice cup of coffee, enjoy seeing each other go home. Let's not be a bubble. What if some of us are being placed into positions in work where actually we can, and I use this word deliberately, words, infiltrate and subvert for Jesus. We actually get into the culture and structures of our society doing kingdom things. I know someone who's so profoundly touched by God that they started to use their civil service career for the kingdom and became a speech writer and a policy writer for the World Bank and, and basically instituted kingdom policies. That's cool. That is really good. But you can do that in whatever sphere you're in. You could be a teacher in a school and just gently, godly infiltration and subversion for the kingdom of God. That's the way I see it. Some of you might be entrepreneurial. We might have business people here who think, or, you know, you've had this idea, I could set up a business and use it for kingdom purposes. Make a profit and use the profits for kingdom good or the way you employ people. Wouldn't it be great if one or two businesses set up in a town that actually were kingdom businesses? Those sort of things start to change the structures of a town. Some of you, or there may be people in the future of our church who get involved in politics. We need godly people in politics in all political parties. Don't we? Every political party. That would be really entertaining if one year we had a Labour person, a Conservative person, a Lib Dem person, all in the church having a barney with each other and loving each other on a Sunday. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? It's kind of something kingdom about that. I think that's what God would want to do in a church like this. I believe that. I think it would please God if he started getting involved in his mission. So yes, we want to see people saved. We want to create an environment where it's, the worship is energising, where we see the power of God at move, where people's lives are changing. But there's the structures of our town as well. We need to get involved in that. And not just the caring professions. You know, caring professions are great. We have this thing of saying they're more caring because they're more kingdom. They're, they're, they're more kingdom because they're more caring, sorry. So like education or nursing and medicine is all good, but there'll be business people too. Now, use that. Some people are anointed for that. Now, it wouldn't be great if this church became a creative melting pot for stuff, for kingdom stuff. But please, let's complain about the right things. Let's get excited about the right things. People would see something different about us. It'd be great if we spent more time with the lepers in our society today. Who are they? Because they're there. Is it the addicts? The, the criminal? The person who perpetrated domestic violence? I, I don't know. But they're there. And they need Jesus too, don't they? We don't just want to be a church for clean people. We don't want to be a church for messy, dirty, stinking people who get cleaned up because they're here.
And I see this running through scripture. Every step of the way through Jesus' ministry. So here's a takeaway. Have a think about what God might be saying to you. How could you use your mind, your skills, your time, your energy? If you're not in a position to actually actively do stuff, is there stuff you can support in prayer? Are there people you can befriend? Uh, uh, is there time we need to give up? As a church, I'll finish with this, I think we also need to get very serious now, we're seven months in, about poverty around the world. And maybe we need to pick on one or two things. We've been setting money aside from our offerings every month. Every week we're setting money aside. We're building up a pot of cash. Wouldn't it be great if as a church we don't just alleviate poverty, spiritual and emotional poverty here and physical poverty here, but around the world we actually see some kids lifted out of poverty too. We actually saw a community of people impacted because with Dean King here, with our combined wealth, we were able to do something. Wouldn't that be great? And build some long-term relationship. I just think that would please God so much. I really do. And I, 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 I will close now. Well, you've heard me say this before, but for those of you who have not, I just think, with all my heart, I, I think we need to pray that we see people as God sees them. And I've told some of you before that when I was in India once, this, these are things that soften my heart, stop me and say belligerent over the years, that when I, when I was in India and I saw a woman that I was asked to pray for come through the crowd and she looked absolutely beautiful to me. You've heard me tell you this, some of you. She looked so beautiful, being a sort of radiant, not a sexual way, you know, she just looked beautiful. Her eyes were clear and just looked lovely lady, you know. And when I asked what the interpreter, what she wanted prayer for, he sort of got a bit embarrassed with me and a bit frustrated. And I asked him several times, she wouldn't tell me. And then when I looked again, I, I saw that half her face was all scarred up by a skin disease and her right arm was withered from polio. But the first time I looked at her, I hadn't seen it. I just, whether I hadn't noticed or it was a God thing, I don't know. But what I do know is that as I stood there in front of her, this woman who one minute looked beautiful to me and the next minute was pretty bust up, very poor, and smelt. As I stood there, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, along the lines of, I just showed you how I see her all the time, which is beautiful to me. It was a, a profoundly life-changing moment. Wouldn't that be so amazing if we could all pray a prayer that said that sometime over this next few weeks, Holy Spirit, please, please help me see people as you see them. People have upset you. People have hurt you. People are a bit scummy. People in the newspaper who have done stuff. Wouldn't it be great if we could look past that and start to see people as God sees them? His beautiful people that he made, that he knit together in his mother's wombs who just need a touch from the Lord and need his peace. I think when as a church we have finally grasped that and our hearts have been so softened, I think we will see an outpouring of God's grace and people coming to Christ that will blow your mind.
I think we're just starting to touch it. I think we've yet to fully enter into it. And I'd ask you to pray for Dan and I as we start to process this. You know, we, we want to be a church that's healthy and in balance. Keeping all these things in tension, seeking to be biblical, but having, you know, gracious, open lives to God. And I'd, I'd rather err more towards that and make some mistakes by being too gracious and too loving than go the other way, wouldn't you? Let, let's be accused of being too grace-filled, too loving, spending time with the wrong people. Wouldn't that be a fantastic accusation for a church to have? So, Father, would you help us? Would you help us to see people as you see them? Help us get involved in your mission, your mission, Father, so that we'd be a church, working with other churches in the town, that challenge the structures, that see redemption in all things, to see people's needs met, to see your spirit pouring out, people being healed emotionally, physically. Where we see people whose lives were, you know, within a yard of hell, experiencing the inexpressible joy of knowing you. And give us patience too, Father, as we start to navigate this as well. We, we want to be a church that pleases you, Holy Spirit. So keep our hearts soft, keep us generous, we pray. Give us your compassion, help us to see people as you see them ultimately Father. Get us passionate about the right things Father, not the wrong things. Protect us from ever becoming a self-serving church that exists to please ourselves. In Jesus name, Amen. <laughs>